Lord, you are the living word that was made flesh and dwelt among us earthlings, your children. And you gave yourself for us. You chose us. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes so we can choose you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy and your love. For that, we worship you. And we praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's, let's sing that old song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And just make a fresh commitment to him that no matter what comes, what the weather's like, or what we face in life, what we'll go through this week, we're going to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow someone here that in their heart if we were to have a conversation and you were really honest you'd say pastor I've sung that song many times and yet many times I've not followed him if you knew about the sin in my life you wouldn't ask me to sing that song but the Bible says where sin abounds grace does much more abound And that fact is so true that that the writer to whom the Holy Spirit revealed that truth had to say these words, since that's true. Shall we sin so that more grace will abound? No. But the point is he had to say that because it is true where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. There's also a principle that Jesus taught those who've been forgiven much, love much. 
If you'll receive the undeserved forgiveness that the Lord has provided for us, such gratitude will fill your heart. And you'll begin to change your desires. Your affections will become centered on things above. And if you stumble and fall, you won't be comfortable till you get back up and say, Jesus, I'm still going to follow you. Amen. Lord, I just pray that you'd make that truth real in the heart of every person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. the Bible. It's God's Word, right? But what's it really all about? All the stories, all the verses. Here's a thought. Did you know that there's a thread that runs throughout Scripture? A storyline that begins in the beginning and ends at the end. Here, I'll show you. You know in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the world and He saw that it was good. The sun, the moon, the animals, Then he made man and woman. He made them to live with him in the garden. But they sinned. And their sin created a separation between them and God. But God had a plan. A plan that was bigger than Adam and Eve. God had a plan to call a people for himself. And through these people to bless all people. The Israelites were God's chosen people. But sin wasn't done messing things up. God's people turned from him. But like I said before... God had a plan all along. This is where Jesus comes in. The little baby boy born in a manger. The man doing the miracles and preaching and teaching. This man, this Jesus, would give his life on the cross as a once and for all payment for our sins. And this payment would forever break down the wall of sin and guilt that separates us from God. Jesus' sacrifice made right the relationship between God and humans. Scripture says one day he'll return to finally redeem all of his children, ushering in an eternal reign from heaven's throne. And from that day on, all nations will join in an eternal song of worship to God. Oh, and you know that thread we talked about, the thread that ties all this together. That thread is love, God's unfailing love for all humankind. A love big enough to seek the redemption and reconciliation of all people throughout all time. A love big enough for the whole world. A love big enough for you. It is a cool story, and it's all right here. So if you want to know more, go ahead, pick it up. The thread is waiting. If you found Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning with verse 8, there is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches, but he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity 
and a grave misfortune. You remember the story of the rich fool that Jesus told? His barns were filled with plenty. He had no need, and yet he still wasn't satisfied. And he said in his heart, I'm going to build bigger barns and make room for more of my stuff. And that night God said, Thou fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. Illustrates the principle that Jesus taught. If you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what profit is that? The context here is talking about the isolated person, the miser, the person who, the one man show, the person that wants to be their own island. There's no joy in their riches. No joy in their accumulation. Verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I'd like to pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you bring these scriptures to life in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, to gain new understanding and fresh application of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes is a book written by a man who received great wisdom. God asked him, what do you want? He says, I want wisdom so that I may know how to enter into your presence and how to leave your presence. In other words, how to receive from you and then how to disperse what I've received to others. God gave him that wisdom, but he went way beyond that wisdom and other things and it actually led him astray. And toward the later years of his life, he became somewhat cynical. And I think the book of Ecclesiastes is a unique book for our cynical yet highly prosperous times. In which we live. And so we're just going to look briefly today at this passage during this morning's talk and talk to you about the title two. Can we all say two? Subtitle better than one. Last Sunday we spoke on the subject one, and today we're speaking on the subject two. We're building on last Sunday. The Bible says that God teaches knowledge according to Isaiah 28, precept upon precept. Line upon line, here a little, there a little. So based on the power of one, the revelation of the importance of an individual, and the understanding of the difference we can make in our life, just as one person, we're going to move on. Not leaving that behind or throwing that truth away, but we're going to move on. Because two really are better than one. Can we say that? Two really are better than one. The opening phrase says two are better than one. This has been true since the beginning. In Genesis 2, God said it is not good that man should be alone. Today's talk is about more than getting married. It's about not living an isolated life. It's about being a team player. You can be married and yet still be isolated. 
And you could be married and not be isolated in your marriage, but you and your wife just have your own thing going and don't care about anybody else. That's not the will of God either. The power of two kicks in when two people team up for the benefit of others. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. They're able to enjoy the fruits of life together. You know, if you've ever played ping pong with another person and you beat another pair of people, two people against two people, you've got somebody to celebrate your victory with. There's just something about enjoying victory that you have completed with somebody else. Look at the world of football. They score a touchdown. Man, the whole team is excited, even the water boy, because they've done something together. A team of two can be more profitable than one person because two people are stronger together. Also, there's a thing called synergy that happens. When two people work together, they see areas where they're making wasteful steps, and they see areas where they can do great stuff. Two can enjoy their profits more together. You've got someone to enjoy the benefit of your labor with. And two can more easily see the need for correction. You know, we all have blind spots. No doubt I'll make some goof-ups here today and just say that's his blind spots. Two people can help with being accurate. In the Old Testament, in the Bible, for someone to be prosecuted... There had to be two witnesses. I think today you just got to have one eyewitness, and hopefully that guy's not lying. Two witnesses whose testimonies corroborate, not collaborate, but corroborate separately when interviewed. The stories line up before something could become a legal matter in terms of somebody being convicted or accused or hauled to court. Two people are better than one when it comes to the need for correction. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy deceitful. What does that mean? People that don't care about you will not tell you about your blind spots. A friend, hopefully in love, will share with you an area that you need to hear. And it may hurt. But because that person's a friend, it actually helps. If you go through life and you just want everybody to compliment you and give you praise for everything in your life and never, never disagree with you about nothing, you are doomed to a life of failure because there's some train wrecks along the way that a friend could help you avoid. Somebody said experience is the best teacher, but in reality, the experienced are the best teachers. There's some things I want to learn from the experience of others so I don't have to go through them. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Two people are better than one because we can help sharpen each other, make each other better. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Two are better than one because we need each other. In the New Testament are 52 verses that tell us how to treat one another. It looks to me like an assignment for every week of the year. Love one another. 
Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Comfort one another. We need one another. You're hearing passion coming from my heart, not because I'm aiming at somebody, but coming from my own walk and my own life. I was a loner. When my family came home from the mission field, West Africa, we moved to Liberia when I was nine. We came home when I was 13. Reverse culture shock was worse than the culture shock I faced when I went to a foreign land. Coming back home to my own land as a teenager, I remember my first day in the eighth grade. Oh, my God. It was unbelievable. The shock that I went through. And so in the ninth grade, I was starting to fit in. I was starting to be a people person. And then if my parents didn't buy a house out in the country and move me into an entirely different school district in the middle of my freshman year, it happened. I'm not whining. Just tell them why I became a loner. I graduated from normal community high school in normal Illinois. It's a strange town. You see newspaper headlines like normal man shoots wife and normal woman breaks out of jail. To them it seems normal, but to us. School was a necessary evil, so I just knuckled down. And got it over with. Point is, I did it. I learned how to stand on my own. God was developing my backbone and the individual in me. But I had formed some opinions where I didn't need nobody. I was my own man. When I got out of high school, I went to Bible school and quit two weeks before the first semester was over because I didn't need that stuff. The rapture was going to take place anyway. Make a long story short, 33 years ago, I married the love of my life, who's very much a people person. (laughs) And she stretched me and helped me, because two are better than one. She helped me to open my heart up to other people and realize, sure, somebody can hurt you, but somebody can heal you. And a lot of times if people hurt you, it's just a blind spot. If you go and point it out to them in love, you'll have a relationship with them that's stronger. Two are better than one because we need each other. We need people. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us consider one another. This is one of those 52 one another verses. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Can we say stir it up? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is about more than just going to church. Church can be an assembly, but it can also just be a gathering. You like my new watch? Pastor Shake gave me this watch. The person who knew what he was doing could probably take this watch apart and put all the parts in a bag, a clear plastic bag, and I could tie a rubber band around it and wear it around my wrist. And I would have the gathered parts of a watch. They'd be together. They'd be gathered. But they would not be assembled. We all need to find our place, our assignment that the Lord has for us in what He's doing in the earth. 
teaming up with others. The more often as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Verse 11, again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Two people together increase heat. You can take a fireplace with a fire in it, take a log out of that fire, and the fire in that log will go out. You put it back in the fire with other logs that are on fire, and it continues. There's a synergy that happens. How does this relate spiritually? John Gill, in his commentary, said this. This is true in a spiritual sense of persons in a Christian communion where they are grown cold in their love, lukewarm in their affections, and indifferent to spiritual exercises, meaning indifferent to prayer and worship and devotion to the Lord. By Christian conversation or conduct may be stirred up to love and good works. Just talking with another brother or sister can fire you up. goes on to say, two cold flints struck against each other, can create fire. Two cold Christians, when they come to talk with each other about spiritual things and feel one another's spirits, they can glow in their affections to divine things. Especially if Christ joins them with his presence, as he did the two disciples going to Emmaus. Remember, they were talking about spiritual things. The Lord joined them. And when he left, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? Two can be warm where one cannot. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. I've seen uh, some strong men who can break a Louisville slugger over their knee. But it takes a really strong guy to break two of them. You ever taken a, a branch and broken it with your hand and then put those two pieces together and then try to break them? Two are stronger than one. Two are better for overcoming our enemy. We have an enemy that wants to isolate us, and when we're alone, he can gain advantage over us. But when we're with one another or with another brother or sister, we can become stronger and spot out his plan. 1 Peter 5, 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What does this mean? Let's take a break. Who'd like to play Name That Antelope? My wife's from Africa. She kind of has an advantage. So if we need a lifeline, we'll call a friend, we'll call you. Who can name these antelopes? Let's see. That's your final answer. You ever had a Chevy Impala? Who can name that one? Sable? That's your final answer. Yes. How about that one? Should we call a friend? Okay, Miss Yvette, what is that? No. That's a Jim's buck. Who can guess what this one is? Kudu. Let's take a vote. All right. That's a kudu. That's the one that makes the best shofars. Now that is an eland. That's my favorite. Because it's got the most meat on it. 
All the carnivores in the house said, yes. Who knows what this is? If you're not from Texas, you may want to ask us about this because it could be an embarrassing discovery. That's not an antelope. That is the nemesis of antelopes. How do lions get to eat antelopes? One at a time. They get one by itself. Usually a young and inexperienced one. Or a prideful, arrogant one. And they'll bring him down and eat him. Who in our flock is being taken advantage of by the enemy right now that we need to go to to see if we can rescue him? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We are all vulnerable to spiritual defeat if we live lives isolated. We need one another. I think we made the point. Two are better for overcoming our enemy. Verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is often read in weddings. In blessing the husband and wife, encouraging them to have God as part of their relationship because a threefold cord is not easily broken. If you're making a rope, you could take one cord and probably break it. Two cords and a really strong guy could break it. Three cords braided together, the synergy between those three things makes it really hard to break. Jesus said, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Two of you and my Father, impossible things can happen. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You can have church with just two people and be called a church and be legitimate because where two or three are gathered in his name, he's there in the midst. Two are better than one. Two are better with multiplication. What's one times one? What's two times two? See the change? Genesis 1:27 God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them it's elaborated how this happened in Genesis chapter 2 God made one man and then from that man he made a woman and so the one became two only then could multiplication happen and this promise be fulfilled God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the beasts of the field. God bless them. Being fruitful and multiplying. Two becomes a multiplier. Whereas one times one is one. Now, can we just take a brief sidebar? In marriage, two are to become one. The multiplication of children really doesn't happen significantly until you begin to have grandkids. You have two kids, and then they each have two kids. you got four kids, see? Two becoming one 
requires multiplication because one plus one is two. One husband, one wife makes two people. One husband, one wife equals two people. But when they are both for the other, one for all and all for one, there's a multiplication that happens. One times one equals what? One. It's important that when you get married that you be a whole person, a strong individual, that you know who you are, that you don't have baggage from your childhood, that you overcome those things. If you take those into marriage, you're going to have problems because I illustrate it mathematically. One times one equals one. And because of the principle of multiplication, if a half person marries a half person, there's going to be problems because they tear each other down. Let me show you how. One half times one half does not equal one half. One times one equals one. One half times one half equals one fourth. Point five times point five equals point two five. You see that? So it's important that when you get married that you pursue wholeness, pursue health. In other words, in marriage, if there's marriage problems, work on yourself. Work on yourself. Be the thermostat and stop being the thermometer. Work on yourself. I say that, having gone through much counseling, pursuing help, working on myself. If I work on my spouse, I only tear her down. My work on myself makes a difference. If three-fourths of a person marries a whole person, what do you get? One times three-fourths equals three-fourths. You just bring each other down to the lowest common denominator. And so in marriage, it's important, even in the midst of your struggle, that you not say, well, we just made a mistake. We were two half people and... Half times half equals a quarter. Let's start over and call it my starter marriage. No, no. Work on yourself. And pray to your father-in-law. Lord, please deal with your son or your daughter. Back to the sermon. Jesus applied this better principle of two being better than one. In Mark 6, he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He sent them out in teams of two. In Luke 10.1, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face in every city and place where he himself was about to go. Remember Moses? God called one man, Moses, to lead his people to freedom. And yet God teamed Moses up because of his weakness, teamed him up with his brother Aaron. And Aaron was a high priest and Moses was the general. And together... They led those people to freedom. Jesus often called people in groups of two. There were the brothers, James and John, that were followers of Jesus. Andrew and Peter that were followers of Jesus. Paul teamed up with Barnabas during the first part of his ministry, and then later he teamed up with Silas. A couple named Aquila and Priscilla were a team in ministry that ministered to a man named Apollos in the book of Acts. So the principle of two is a biblical principle. We looked at this picture last Sunday, looking for the one. Where's Waldo? The Where's Waldo books have been an amazing phenomena. And now not only are people encouraged to look for Waldo or Wally, but also to look for Wilma or Welda, depending on which book it is. Could it be 
that God wants to use you to find two people for the benefit of his kingdom. Where are those two people in this little micropolis? Wall Street newspaper a few years ago labeled us as micropolis number 99. In the 200 plus subdivisions around our lake, surely there are two people that you and I can each have an impact on. If we act on that, do you see multiplication happening here? Not just addition, but multiplication. Does anybody have a concern about our town? I remember when they built the jail, it was too big. Now it's too small. If you're a woman and you're in jail, your family has to go to Glenwood to see you. I remember when that thing was built, it was too big, and our sheriff, the guy who oversaw building it, lost an election because he wanted to rent out cells to the Nebraska prison system. And the citizens of Grand Bay says, no ways, we don't want them coming here. Now there's not room in the place. What's happening in our town? What's happening to our newspaper? Are they just becoming sensational to sell papers? Or is there something really wicked going down in our town? Before we point our fingers at the big cities of Chicago, New York, L.A., and Houston, let's look in G-Town. That weekly issue that carries the felony arrests, that's somebody's son, some mother's daughter, could be your neighbor. Some could be falsely accused in need of prayer. My concern is this, as a church, we must, all of us, all congregations in Granbury, there's not enough congregations in Granbury, only 18% of our citizens go to church according to a survey that First Baptist did a few years ago. When these people get out of jail, there needs to be churches that reach out to them, invite them to come. We don't know who they are. They're not going to wear a sign on their back, I just been to jail. We're shooting in the dark when we invite people to church. But there's people out there that have needs. If we don't wake up, they'll be breaking in our houses to pay for their addiction. It's getting worse. I mean, it it is. It's getting worse. Well, I'm glad I live in a gated community. Well, good luck with that. All it takes for that is for them to rent a house in that community. I don't have any authority in other congregations, but here at Generations, we must do what we can to make a difference for the sake, not just of growing a mega church. Man, that's a lot of headaches. But for the sake of our city, being faithful stewards of the opportunities God has given us. In April, we want to do April as a month of invitation. We say a month of invitation. Each Saturday morning, those that are willing and able will meet with me here at 930. We'll pray together, strategize, and give out maps of our area. Example, one team will get the map of Crescent. And we'll form, depending on how many people are here, we'll form up teams of two. And there may be several teams of two in one team and several teams of two in another two, or we may just be a bunch of teams of two. It just depends on how many are here. And we'll hit areas assigned according to the maps, how we divide it up. Thank goodness for the Granberry map book. It makes it really easy. 
and will go into neighborhoods just door to door and simply give them an invitation and say, we're from Generations Church. We would like to invite you to church. Not to argue or anything. If you're timid, we'll team you up with a bold person. It's really easy. It's a no-brainer. Hey, we're from Generations Church. We just wanted to invite you to church. And here's a free flashlight keychain, practical gift that we hope blesses you. And every time they use that keychain at night, they'll think, who's ever fumbled for keys and gotten scratches on your car door looking for the keyhole? And every time they use that, they'll think of the invitation. Who will think about participating in those? Saturdays in April. Let's watch this. Hi, I'm Joe, and I invited my sister Judy to Sagebrush, and she invited her old roommate Leah and her husband Rusty. Hi, I'm Rusty, and this is my wife Leah. And we invited my mom Marlene, who invited Sid and Virginia. We also invited my mom Connie. Hi, I'm Connie, and I invited my son Dusty and my cousin Jean and Dale. I also invited my hairdresser, Jeanette, who invited her neighbor, Celia, who invited Randy and Raina. We also invited my sister, Tammy. Hi, my name's Tammy. This is my daughter, Johanna, and I invited my friend, Carrie, also my friend, Mitch, Sharon, Katie, and Tammy, who invited Tracy. I invited my friend, Rachel, who invited her mother, Sandra, and her two younger siblings, Roger and Elizabeth. We also invited our niece, Kayla, her husband, Jeremy, who invited Josh and Desi, who invited Zachary. Hi, I'm Zachary. I invited my mom, Elaine, and my friend, Skylar, who invited Cody, who invited Mickey, who invited her mom, Jill, and she invited her son, Jackson. Our niece, Kayla, and her husband, Jeremy, also invited Jenna. Hi, I'm Jenna, and I invited my boyfriend, Adam, and my aunt and uncle, Deborah and Russell, who then convinced the rest of my family to come to Sagebrush. We also invited our good friends, Brad and Kelly. Hi, I'm Kelly, and this is my husband, Brad, and our daughter, Lauren. We are so grateful that Joe invited Judy, and Judy invited Rusty and Leah, so they could invite us to Sagebrush. Wow, I had no idea that so many people would come to Sagebrush just because I started by inviting my sister, Judy. Imagine what you could do if you invited one person, the ripples that would just flow through our church and our community. We're not going to watch it again, but I want to watch the first invitation. Hi, I'm Joe, and I invited my sister Judy to Sagebrush, and she invited her old roommate Leah and her husband Rusty. Starting with his sister Judy, who invited that couple, who invited a ton of folks. Think of the difference that was made in the community because he invited his sister. Do you remember the day before you started coming to church and then when you started, the difference that happened? You were totally unchurched. Maybe it wasn't this church, but somewhere, the difference that occurred. Other people are in the same shoes today that you were in then. Lifeway Bible Bookstores did a survey of several thousand people in 2009. And they found out 70% of unchurched people have never been invited to church. No one has ever walked up and said, hey, I'd like to invite you to church. 82% of the unchurched people are somewhat likely to attend church if invited. 
Only 2% of church members ever invite an unchurched person to church. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure we would break that record here. But it bears to keep in mind, 98% of the average American churchgoer have never extended an invitation in a given year. Why? I don't know. But rather than beating ourselves up and, you know, going through the paralysis of analysis, let's just say, hey, I'm not going to be part of that percentage. Only 4% of formerly churched adults are looking for a church to attend. Has anyone ever gone through a season where you didn't go to church anywhere, you were a church attender, and then you quit? Could be hurt that you went through, a divorce that you experienced, something went wrong, the church blew up that you were in. But the Lord drew you back. You were part of the 4% unless somebody reached out to you and drew you in. 4% of formerly church are looking for a church to attend. 62% of the formerly church are not looking, but they're open to attending church faithfully again. This invitation thing does not just relate to people that have never gone to church, but it relates to everyone that's not going. America needs the church. In this election year, do not put all your eggs in the basket of who's going to live in the White House. You'll be disappointed. It's who lives in our house that makes a difference. And it's the increase of the reign, the increase of the government of Jesus that makes a difference. It's that simple. chair is just a symbol, and yet it's a very real place to sit, comfortable place that we bought years ago. They've been paid for. Look around at the empty seats. They're going to be full. What will we do to make that difference? Our assignment this week is to invite two people this week and ask for a show of hands who will do their best with God's help, pray first, to invite two people to church. In your bulletin are two church invitations. If you don't have one, get a bulletin before you leave. Just use it as a tool. Hey, I'd like to invite you to church. You don't have to argue. You just invite them. Invite them. It's a story of a feast in the Bible where a king threw a big feast and invited a bunch of people to come. And there was a lot of people that could not come. And so... You know, here was going to be this big meal, this table prepared, this huge party, feast. He said, go into the highways and byways and bring in the poor. 
Maybe you've not invited anybody to church in a while because those that you have invited have been resistant. They've been ugly. It was a very unpleasant experience. And your mind says, don't do that again. Mm. Oh, that's your mind. That's not his mind. Reach out to some new folks. Because the feast is here. There's dinner being served this morning all across the city in like 50-some locations. It's good. When they come, we won't be preaching like this. This is spring break Sunday, so it's a perfect opportunity.
You are listening to Worship in the Word with Generations Church of Granbury.